Hardy's signature Frisco burger and Frisco breakfast sandwich are the kind of goodness people drive across town for. Classic favorites on a toasted sourdough bun. Only at Hardy's. Goodness in the making. Participation may vary. Drivers, start your engines! What's going on, FN Nation? Welcome back. This is the Fantasy Alarm NASCAR DFS podcast. We have four races to go in the 2022 season. It's felt like an absolute marathon, and that's because it kind of has been, because we've really only had one week off from cup racing. I don't know why A.J. Allmendinger is returning to this next year, but we are into the round of eight with four races to go. We are previewing Vegas this week, coming off of the Roval. Matt, how are you? What news do we have to break down from the NASCAR world following the Roval? I know there were some penalties. There was some controversy. Uh, but we're also getting some clarification on how teams are shaping up for 2023. Yeah, there is there is quite a lot coming out of the Roval. I didn't catch all that much of it. Um, I had my daughter's last soccer game of the season was basically at the same time as the race. Um, so obviously going to go uh, watch that. Um but what I surmised from it was that it was a terrible race. Uh, it was basically impossible to pass for the lead unless it was a restart or pit, uh, you know, pit cycle. Uh, a cardboard sign wreaked havoc on the race, and apparently Cole Custer cheated, or at least that's what NASCAR says. Uh, and then they absolutely hammered him, uh, like a $100,000 fine, the points... Well, it's like, whose line is it anyway, where the points don't really matter? Because um, he was eliminated <laughs> anyway. Um, but then they suspended his crew chief indefinitely. Which is a pretty serious uh, suspension. So, if you're unfamiliar, uh, Cole Custer slowed down in the closing laps of the Roval race. Just went, like, half throttle, basically. And he was in front of Kyle Larson, who was trying to make a last-ditch effort to make the round of eight. And thus, Cole Custer slowing down helped Chase Briscoe, theoretically, make the round of eight because it allowed him to continue passing guys without Larson, you know, passing people back. And the crux of the situation is that they, NASCAR heard Cole Custer's crew chief say on the radio, I think you've got a flat. Might want to back it down and be gentle with it. Not unsurprising, right? We've seen flat tires all season long. They've hit yeah. all race long. The only problem is NASCAR determined, based on all of the data that they have on these cars and GPS positioning and all that good stuff, that Mike Shiplett nor the spotter could tell if the tire was down at the time that the crew chief said that his tire was flat. Couldn't see the car. Pretty hard to tell your driver that you have a flat tire if you can't see the car. So that's pretty much what the penalty is for, is basically manipulating the end of the race. I think they did. Look, it's fine (laughs) if you want to penalize these guys, right? But I think you're saying to penalize Custer is heavy? Well, uh, look, if... 
clearly Custer was following team order, so he should be fined for that, right? The points, I don't care about the points. They're not going to matter. Um, he was already eliminated. Driver that has only two years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the points aren't a thing. The crew chief is a thing. $200,000 fine across both the driver and the crew chief is a heck of a lot of money, obviously. But here's the thing. Why didn't they fine or suspend or whatnot Denny Hamlin a couple years ago when he told, well, more than a couple, but a few years ago, when he told Eric Jones not to pass late in a race um, because of the points that it would cost whoever he was going to pass when they were teammates at JGR, right? Why not fine um, Denny Hamlin when he clearly pulled out of line at Atlanta a few weeks ago to get MTJ stage points to get MTJ possibly into the playoffs because Hamlin was already secure, right? Why not go after some other guys that have slowed up, right? Chase Elliott famously last year at Bristol slowed up and held up Kevin Harvick. NASCAR says, well, that was retaliation. It was the driver taking it into his own hands. But do you really want to draw that line? Like, that's the question here. Where does NASCAR want to draw this line because Rodney Childers already <clears throat> tweeted out. Guess what, guys? You can hold up teammates. You can help out teammates at Phoenix for the championship as long as you don't say anything on the radio. I would say that first of all, <clears throat> two wrongs don't make a right. The, right. the arguments against Hamlin are are fair, uh, but I think when even when they. Tr- when Custer's team tries to mask it like they did by saying it was a flat and he was blatantly off the throttle and just really doing a bad job of trying to hide the effort to fix the race. Uh, That may have been a bad turn, but whatever. I don't care. I think that NASCAR can step in in a situation like this. You can easily look back and say, why wasn't this done before in this situation or this situation? And it's just like, just because it's been done wrong in the past doesn't mean that NASCAR in the present and the future should not do anything about it. Obviously, because of the issues and the arguments that you have about that have happened previously. Famously, Spingate, where they told Clint Boyer, why don't you? (laughs) He spun himself. Like, NASCAR's in a position now to harshly punish teams and drivers for doing so. And... I think this sets a good tone and a good precedent going forward because now, because previously what you're arguing is that teams could essentially get away with it. And now NASCAR is basically saying, no, we're not going to run with that BS anymore. And so I personally don't have a problem with them making an example out of the 41. And I, and I don't know. I don't think Cole Custer and and the team are necessarily hurting for it because they haven't won since Kentucky in 2020. Uh, haven't been much of a contender since then. And so, yeah, if you're going to try and help your team, you better be able to pay the price for it. And if they can consistently prove this going forward, regardless of what the communication was over the radio, if NASCAR feels confident in what they're proving, and I get like in a court of law, this probably doesn't like hold up at all. But if this is NASCAR's belief, and I'm sitting here saying like, I believe that Cole Custer was trying to fix the race for Chase Briscoe. And so I fully support the decision. While letting Chase Briscoe race in the round of eight. 
My only my only problem is that NASCAR also came out and said they don't believe that Lord that that this is the reason that Briscoe made like advanced, right? AKA that Larson was Oh I, I behind agree, enough. Which is kind of weird with my argument. Right. But my, my point is like if NASCAR is hammering him for fixing the race and saving the spot for a teammate, but then also coming out and <clears> saying, Well, he didn't have to do that to save the spot. Then, I mean, I, I get why you have to hammer him so that it doesn't happen again in a situation that may actually help a teammate. Yeah. But you're kind of setting yourself up to not be able to defend the appeal that, are, that you know, they've already said, that SHR has already said is coming. Do you uh, think that this is kind of a warning for the rest of the playoffs, though, with four races to go and how teams can... Especially help teammates win at Phoenix or Martinsville or Homestead, which they're all coming up. Yeah. Um, the playoff races, for the most part, have been won or dominated by non-playoff drivers. Now, granted, I know Tyler Reddick has been great, <laughs> but when he's won or been great, he hasn't been an active playoff driver. Christopher Bell won last week, but the way that we're seeing it, is this just a harsh warning to teams that maybe like, hey, Eight drivers left. Chase Briscoe, Denny Hamlin, William Byron, Blaney Bell, Chastain, Logano, and Elliott. Let these drivers decide the race, not the teammates? Probably. I would assume that that's what they're going for. Um, But it is interesting that they put the caveat out there that they got hammered because it was on the radio. Mm -hmm. Not saying they couldn't prove it if it wasn't, but like... That's just kind of, again, why are you leaking your own evidence? Because as Rodney Childers picked up, just don't say it on the radio. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. But it was, in Jeff Gluck's poll, one of the worst races ever polled in the history of the poll, um, which is unfortunate. It's not got like a 19.2% approval rate. Yes, yeah. uh, which is unfortunate because the Roval is usually a very good track. Very good race, but yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Or has not been good on road. This car on road courses sucks, and on short tracks too. It's like it's maybe it still in Martinsville. Possible. It's been bad, but like, isn't Martinsville the final race of the renovate? Yes, that sucks. <laughs> That's yeah. It's not gonna be a great. It's not gonna be a great Martinsville race. I don't believe. Um. So, yeah, other news coming out of there. Um, oh, gee, we got a we got a whole bunch, right? Um, Alex Bowman announced today that he's out for at least the next three races, which only leaves Phoenix left. Um, I don't believe he would come back for just the final race, but it is in front of, theoretically, his hometown fans because he is from Arizona. Um, I just don't see the point in coming back. But I don't <laughs> see the point in coming back unless... Well, there's one other possibility because the guy who's slated to drive the 48 is theoretically competing for a championship that weekend, too, in Noah Graxon. Um, So maybe that weighs into it, but I don't know. Um, Tyler Reddick has been bought out (laughs) from RCR, so he will not be at RCR next year. And he intends to go to 2311 a year early. Um, Good for him. 
So, you know, that'll that'll jumpstart the, the deal at, at 2311. It makes a lot of sense. I never really understood why RCR was going to try to wait it out because in the end, if you think about it from RCR's perspective, now, like, they may have had the third charter, right? Let's assume that they have the third charter to do it and they don't have to go out and buy one. They have a third charter, but you still need to sponsor that car. Yeah. Who in their right, what sponsor in their right mind is going to go, okay, it's only a one-year thing. Like, after this, you're just going to go back to two cars and the driver we're sponsoring isn't going to be with you anymore. Like, what's my incentive for giving you money for a one-year, maybe one-race thing with no driver tie-in beyond that? So, financially, it was never going to make sense for RCR. Um, And then, going along with that, it's like, okay, well, is 2311 going to go to a three-car team? I don't think so. No. Kurt Busch has a press conference scheduled for 8 a.m. local time this weekend on Saturday morning. Uh, local time being Vegas time. I presume he's announcing his retirement. Are people in Vegas even awake at 8 a.m. local time? Probably not, but it is his home track. Yeah. Uh, he's missed basically half a season with a concussion. He's 45 years old. And now... I will say... I will miss Kurt Busch <clears throat> being good for about one or two wins consistently oh, yeah. every year. Just coming out of nowhere and just dominating a race and winning it. Yeah, like the year I told everybody to fake Kurt Busch at Vegas and they wound up dominating and winning the race. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, look, like this year has not been, not been easy for Kurt. It's been a new team, new manufacturer. He did make 23-11 fast. They were, like, he has a win. Yeah. Um, but personal life, obviously not doing, not doing well. We all know he, he's in the process of getting divorced. Um, he's 45, he's dealing with a concussion. There's not really a whole lot left for him to do in this sport at this point. So it was probably a decision by, I would assume Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin saying, Hey man, I don't know if we want to shell out the money it's going to take to get a third charter for maybe one year of a three-car team. Because you can't imagine... You he goes to the go, booth? What? You think he goes to the booth? God, I hope so. He was actually pretty good. Like, he's not hes not the colorful personality that Clint Boyer is. Nope, um, pair him with Clint really well. But he is very good at just the anal- the analytics of a race and breaking that down. Like, Kurt, yeah. like Clint is funny, but Kurt is just... He just he just knows him more. He can offer you more. He can teach the viewer more. Yeah, he's also driven for like all three major manufacturers in the yeah, that's true. Point. So he gets around. Um, so yeah, I would I would love to see him in the Fox booth. Um, I don't think NBC needs him. I think Fox would do great with him being added to the booth, whether it be for Xfinity or um, Cup. I would prefer Cup. But yeah, so that's kind of the news and, and notes that took a while to go through, but there was it was a busy is busy week in NASCAR. All right. We got Vegas on the yes. schedule. Uh just Xfinity and Cup this weekend. Same drill for me as it's been lately. Uh it seems I think the trucks only have like two races left. I think yes. one I think it's next week at Miami or Martinsville. Uh, but I'll be on both playbooks this week for Cup and Xfinity. Xfinity will be out early Saturday morning ahead of qualifying practice with updates. And then uh, 
Cup playbook will be out Saturday night into Sunday. Sunday's race. I don't know how many of you all are still playing NASCAR DFS. Matt and I were marveling at the NASCAR contest on DraftKings before we started recording, and they are complete dog poop. Yeah, they're not great. Yeah, they uh, suck. They're, they're awful. That's been expected as <clears throat> NFL continues to get further and further into the season and NASCAR starts to I've wake. seen some NASCAR touts, and I'm not, I'm not saying that they're cowards for this or anything. I actually tend to agree with them, but like they've straight up like said on Twitter that they're not playing NASCAR DFS anymore. They're strictly going to bet it. And if I was in a state that could, where I could legally bet and wager, I would probably take the same approach. I would have no interest in playing DFS because the contests are crap. Yep. And I would much rather bet this sport at this point in the season. I, I tend to agree with that. Um, you know, we're still going to cover it. Doesn't mean we're not covering it. Like we have money in the, in the, you know, skin in the game because we do. Skin in the game. Um, just saying that for the payoff at this point, it's not necessarily, um, you know, the juice isn't necessarily worth the squeeze at this point. Um, so yes, Dan is covering both playbooks. Uh, my daughter's birthday party is on Saturday, right during uh, practice and qualifying. So I don't really want to write it blind, and I also don't want to like be at the party with the practice and qualifying going on my phone. I don't want to be one of those dads. Um, so Dan has graciously uh, offered to cover both this week. Doesn't mean I won't know what's going on. I'll still be around on Sunday um, to help answer any questions anybody may have. Um, keep in mind, no F1 this weekend. They're going from Japan to Austin, Texas. That takes a little while. Need some time to adjust to the time zones. Um, and you want to talk about a debacle of a race. The F1 race was an absolute debacle. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Luckily, most people slept through it. I did not. I actually stayed up. <laughs> I stayed up and you watched stayed it. Up for it? Yes. I wanted to Why? see the craziness. Because I wanted to see the craziness. It was nuts. It was nuts. And Max Verstappen. Still not sure that he won the world title because he thinks he's one point. That's that. That's my other thing. How can people still watch F1 at this point in the year when you know who's already won the championship? This is always my biggest knock on EPL every year. Like, how can a team win a championship with four games to go and then the rest of the season without a playoff means nothing? Right. And this, by the way, is what brought playoffs to NASCAR. Is that Jimmy Johnson was smoking people with a point system. And their concern was, like, one year, J.J. locked up the title, I think, with four races to go, if I'm not mistaken. And then they watched the ratings absolutely tank because there's nothing left to go for. Like, J.J.'s not even trying to win. The guy who wins, yay, we can celebrate, but it doesn't mean anything. Right. And so they brought in the playoffs because they wanted to artificially create drama as the rest of the season unfolds and not have a guy lock up a title until the very last race of the year. Bingo. Does it have its no flaws? English Premier League. Does it have its flaws? <clears throat> sure, it does. Like, F1, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the ratings now for the last four races of the year at Coda, Mexico City, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi, because none of it ma- – I mean, sure – it matters for constructor points and where they finish and money and whatever. Well, also consider this because, like, they're intro- they're in- they're they're introducing 
a Vegas race in what, right. 2023? Yes, next year. What if this happens next year and like your Vegas race that's starting at like 10? It's starting at 10. It's starting at 10 p.m. Pacific, which is 1 a.m. Eastern on Sunday morning yeah. in the United States. Like, what happens if that race is meaningless and you're having this middle of the night race in Vegas that's supposed to illuminate the Vegas Strip and be a visual spectacle? But what if it just means nothing and nobody wants to stay up and watch it in America? Granted, you may still get some eyes overseas, but what what happens if it's a meaningless race again? I mean, they're not going to change, right? They haven't changed the point system in F1 since, like, its inception. So Yeah, at the uh, rate Verstappen continues to win and at the rate that Ferrari continues to screw Leclerc, you have to – you've got to think of something. I because mean, let's as, just, as great let's as just drive, assume. As great as Drive to Survive was to bring eyes to the sport, if anyone has just recently jumped on and started watching F1 for the season and Verstappen just sweeping everything, it's been very boring. Yeah, I mean, for the same dude, but he's done it from eight different pole. He's done it from eight different spots on the grid this season. To put that in perspective, Fernando Alonso holds the record in F1 for most wins from different starting grid spots yeah. with nine over his career. Yeah. Verstappen's won him from eight different spots this season. So part of me, every time I go into an F1 race and I'm like, there's really only six drivers that I think can win. And realistically, I think there's like three. <laughs> well, Maybe I'm giving forward. the benefit of the doubt to Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes. And even then, I'm really just boiling it down to Verstappen, Leclerc, Leclerc, Perez, and Hamilton. And maybe signs. Russell will eventually get a win, but he's not someone yes. that like I'm uber excited about playing. And I stopped playing F1 DFS just because it's a crapshoot every week. Yeah. By the way, did you see the guy who had to get a uh, tattoo, a, a Latifi tattoo, because Latifi finished in the points this week? Somebody made a bet that if Latifi ever finished in the points this season, he would get a Latifi tattoo, and that Latifi happened. should retire if he well he's out of a seat next year but all right let's turn our attention yeah, to Vegas. let's talk nascar let's talk vegas <laughs> uh we have sorry i had to bring up the second debacle of a race this weekend that's all right uh we have five drivers priced over 10k on DraftKings. one of them is over 11k it's denny hamlin now i kind of get it because i'm looking at his last handful of races on mile and a half and intermediates and they've been great uh, Kansas won top five. Texas, uh, oh, that was the All Star race, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Uh, he won Charlotte, but only led 15 of 400 laps. Uh, top six at Nashville. Uh, scrolling down, third at Michigan, uh, second at Kansas, two, top 10 at Texas. What has, has Hamlin just had? just very consistent and strong runs on these intermediates this year. Cause I, I'm not opposed to him being the most expensive driver in the field, but at 11, one, I'm a little hesitant. I'm with you. I'm not necessarily opposed to him being the most expensive. We've seen this happen at intermediates. 11, one is steep though. Like that's, you gotta be sure he's going to be on the pole and he's going to lead like a hundred something laps. That's that's a steep price to pay. Um, look, 
I don't know what we do with. I mean, yeah, Texas is Texas. We're going to disregard that because that whole race was terrible. Um, he was 11 1 at Kansas. He started 25th and finished second, put up 70 points. But again, you need the place differential to get there or a lap sled. So, look, he was 11 1 at Darlington. This is a pretty good one. The cookout, the, the Southern 500. He started 11 and finished second. Had 22 fastest laps, six laps led, 62 points, and was 11-1. That's not, I mean, that hits value. But are we so sure he's going to pop out 20-plus fastest laps again? One of my biggest complaints is that we always preview these races before practicing qualifying. So it's like, it It really does depend. I, I mean, I, I'm willing to put more stock in these drivers that are playoff drivers. But at the same time, it's like, I'm looking at a playoff driver like Chase Briscoe, who's 8,100. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk to him short, or talk about him shortly. But it's like, in this race, in a GPP, when it means more, it's like, I, I do want to put more emphasis and exposure on the playoff drivers. And so, I don't know if I'd necessarily want to pay up to Hamlin, because I also think that there are some non-playoff drivers that kind of want to stick it to NASCAR, like Kyle Larson, Tyler Reddick, even Kyle Busch, home track for him. It's like, I just don't feel like, and it'll all, this could all change when we know the starting order and how everyone looks on speed and practice. But I just don't know if we necessarily need to pay up to Hamlin at 11-1, because you could take a more balanced approach or just pay down for dominators. Yeah, I I agree. If you're paying up for Hamlin, it's going to hamstring the rest of your build pretty pretty severely. In Vegas 1, he started 8th, finished 32nd, had 21 fastest laps, 31 laps led. Um, so he did get two points, but which is a miracle considering the fact he went backwards by 24 spots. Um, but, I mean, he was caught up in, like, he had a tire issue there, if I'm not mistaken. So... They've had speed on the intermediates. That's where JGR has shown good speed. But we're going to have to be absolutely sure he can hit value at that price tag in order to play him. So of the other four uh, drivers over 10K, we have Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson, and Tyler Reddick. Who are you most likely to target? Or are you maybe looking at someone just beneath that 10K threshold, like Ross Chastain at 9,900, William Byron at 97, or Brian Blaney? Uh, all playoff drivers, and Blaney's 95. Um, of the guys that are in the 10K range, I'm really liking Larson and Reddick. Right now, Larson ran very, very strong here earlier this year. He's been pretty good at intermediates. I think he also wants to stick it to NASCAR, like you said. Like, hey, why? Oh, that's the reason I'm all over Reddick this week. To stick it to NASCAR? Uh, to well, more so to RCR. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a good. Um, we got some narratives like, going. I think <laughs> it's just ever since this news kind of dropped that he was he was going to leave RCR for 23XI. I think it was what it was coming off his his first win. Yeah, America when the news kind of broke, but he's just been on this tear where it's like, and we all knew it. We all knew like once he got his first win, like the rest were just going to come with ease. And that has been the case. Uh, he won the Brickyard leading 38 laps. 
Uh, he won Texas, leading leading 70 laps in Texas is not a great right, race by any means, but hey, it's a mile and a half. He's a great driver. Uh, we talked about either earlier in the podcast or, or before the podcast how three of the four remaining races really cater to Reddick and Larson. And so I, I'm not opposing you in that Reddick could be the guy to win this race, but at this, or I think you said Larson. I may have just fudged my names. But for me, it's going to be Reddick just to really make Richard Childress miss what he's losing. Yeah, we also saw Reddick flat out dominate Kansas um, back in the, uh, well, really both races. Um, it, it just fast. Um, and it didn't, it didn't really work out at either race because I think he had car trouble, but he was wicked fast at those tracks. He was pretty quick uh, at Vegas 1, started 7th, finished 7th, and that's before we were really paying attention to Tyler Reddick. So, yeah, I'm between those two guys. I think Chase and C. Bell are a little tough to peg on intermediates right now. I also think that there's better tracks for um, Chase later on in this like he's obviously done well at homestead and he's done very very well at martinsville and he's right now 31 points to the good on the cut line so he just has to keep having solid races and he makes it because to give you an idea logano is in second right now and he's only 11 points above the cut line so chase has a little bit of he's got like a 20 point margin there that i think can have him coasting a little bit more uh what's your read on joey logano this week i'm kind of on board uh he only he had a top 15 run at vegas earlier in the year i do like what i saw uh on the intermediates overall he won darlington won uh started 34th and finished second at kansas or the first kansas race was top five at the all-star race he was one gateway at uh, texas too he finished second at Texas, started second, finished second with 15 laps led, um, was top five at Michigan as well. I'm, I'm, I do like what I've seen from him on intermediates. Uh, honestly, I think he's kind of this unheralded driver that may have a better read on this car than what we're giving him credit for. Um, and over the last handful of races as well, he's now, granted, in four of the last five, he's finished outside the top 15. But if we go back to Indy Road course in July, sixth at Indy Road, fourth at Michigan, sixth Richmond, third Watkins Glen, 12th Daytona, fourth at Darlington 2, after he was great at Darlington 1. And then he went on a bit of a rough stretch with some of the playoff races, but he's still in the top eight. He's currently in the top four. I think this is one of those races where we could see Logano very well contend because look i mean even if you just look at the laps led he's collecting you know dominator points with every race that he's run so he's he is contending and i do think that vegas which we've seen him win at before uh is a race that he could do well at with this car based on what we've seen at like you know kansas texas darlington and michigan i would agree there's also one other strategy note to to put in context here guy that wins at Vegas is locked into the championship four. 
right? I mean, well, assuming that they're in the playoffs. So, if you win at Vegas, what does that what does that mean? You can spend the next two weeks getting everything dialed in for Phoenix. You don't have to care about the car for Miami. You don't have to care about the car for Martinsville. Obviously, you're going to go there and race and you want to do your best, but it gives you three weeks to get your car ready for Phoenix for the last race you're going to need it for. It's like a team clinching the playoffs in baseball early and then spending the last two weeks of the season getting their pitching rotation set up for to have their best stuff leading off of the playoffs. So I'm right there with you. I think Logano might be a guy who is lower played this week because if you look at the price tag, like I think people will pay a little bit more for Blaney given the speed or Byron given the speed or even go down a touch and go with Harvick for what they assume to be basically the same upside. And I I think Logano is a, is a nice pull by you. Uh, is there anybody over the 9K range? I know I kind of skipped down to Logano. Is there anybody above him, albeit Byron, Blaney, Kyle Busch, Martin Church Jr., on mile and a half or intermediates this year that kind of interests you? I will say the Truex of late has looked better and faster a mile and a half. I know he's had bad luck on his side when he's been fast, um, but he was quick at Kansas and pulled off a top five finish. So perhaps luck is trending on his side. Um, look, now that the road courses are behind Toyota, they can focus on their strength, which has been intermediate. Um so I would say that the Truex might be a guy who's not exactly focused on, but has been surprisingly quick at intermediates and tends to have a fair bit of dominator points at those. Um, I think there's also the for him that, you know, didn't make the playoffs, hasn't had a win this year. It's a situation where the pressure is completely off of him. And we've seen plenty of non-playoff drivers do very well in the playoffs and win. And so if the speed is there, you know, I think people just gradually gloss over Truex in terms of ownership or exposure because he's not in the playoffs and they don't think he has anything to race for. But this is still a guy that prides himself on getting a win almost every year, and he hasn't done that this year. And this is a track that he certainly could do it at. Now, granted, Martinsville is also a track that he could do it at, but we just haven't. I mean, it's named after him, right? Correct, it is. <laughs> uh, but we just haven't seen, you know, this car perform well on short flat tracks. But this is this is still a very good chance for him to get his first win. Yeah, I mean, in the early Vegas race, he started 12th, finished eighth, 34 fastest laps, one lap led. Good for 56 points. He was 8,900 bucks. He's 9,100 this week. I think he flies under the radar and he could wind up hitting value for you at a pretty low draft percentage. Um, any interest in Bubba Wallace? Kind of priced up this week, 8700 One One Kansas was great at both Kansas races. Uh, kind of hard for me to, to stomach this and, and think that he can pay up again. Granted, it'll depend on 
how he looks in practice and qualifying and everything. But uh, for the most part, I'm probably off Bubba at this price tag. Yeah, I probably am too. Again, this is assuming we don't know how the car looks on track. If he shows up and lights the world up with single lap and five lap and 10 lap averages, heck, maybe 20 lap averages, then sure. But, I mean, he didn't run all that well here earlier in the year. Granted, this is his teammate's car. But, you know, I'm not sure he's worth the, the uptick in price aside from the fact that he dominated at Kansas. Let's keep on moving down. Uh, Kevin Harvick, 8,300. Chase Briscoe, the cheapest playoff driver remaining. Uh, Daniel Suarez, Austin Sindrick, Austin Dill. I'm actually very surprised that Noah Gragson is priced up to 7,300, uh, especially because just hasn't done a ton in the 48 when he was priced lower. Now, he is, is he just getting the home track narrative narrative baked into his price tag? Probably. This is technically a price drop from last week when he was 7,600. I know, but even last week when he was 7,600, too high. Yeah, he started 29th, finished 23rd. That's not, that's not great. Um, trying to remember exactly how Bowman ran here earlier this year in the 48 car. Oh, yeah, he won it. Um, now, I will say this was the famous backing into wins win for Bowman when uh, Kyle Busch was pissed about pit strategy late in the race, and Bowman kind of snuck in there. Um, that being said, Bowman did put up, the 48 car did put up 21 fastest laps and 16 laps led in this race. Is Noah Gregson Alex Bowman? No, not yet. I mean, not in the Cup Series. And I'm still not 100% convinced that Noah Gregson is going to go all out in the 48 car. I'm still not convinced that he's not just out there doing laps and saving the 100% for the Xfinity where he has a shot, a pretty good shot, at the title. Because um, he doesn't want to risk injury. Keep in mind, the reason he's filling in for Alex Bowman is because Bowman kissed the wall and got a concussion. So... I still take Gregson at his word that he's only going to go about 80%, and that has me concerned that at this price tag, you need more than 80% from a guy to hit value. Uh, anyone else that I briefly alluded to? Kevin Harvick, who I always have a difficult time fading when he's this cheap. Uh, Chase Briscoe does give me some interest because we know we, he's chasing uh, wins and a good finish. Suarez, Cendric, Austin Dillon, kind of interested, but... No one really jumps off the page. I feel like the pricing is pretty restricted this week. Yeah, you're going to have to get a little weird, I think, in the mid-tier here with, with who you're playing. Because I think there's, there's you know, five or so guys that pop off the page as you scroll down and look at the pricing and say, this guy's usually pretty good here. Um, Austin Dillon is a guy where their intermediate, uh, you know, program has gotten a lot better over the last couple of years. So... I think Austin Dillon could be a sneaky guy for a top 10 finish and have a pretty solid shot at hitting value. Um, I don't know how to read Austin Sindrick from week to week, to be perfectly honest. 
Um, it seems like there's a decent amount of speed in the two car, and then he goes out and doesn't do anything with it. Um, so I'm probably a little bit off of Cindric this week. I'm really interested in Almendinger. I'm not going to lie. I know we're not, he's probably below the price range of what we're currently talking about, but I'm very interested in Almendinger. 6,400 is pretty cheap for it's he's pretty cheap. And in 2021, he kind of, he really dominated and did very well on these intermediate tracks. Uh, he won the first Vegas race leading 44 laps in Xfinity. Uh, he was seventh in the second one. I'm just trying to go through them very quick. Uh, I know he was great at Michigan. Uh, and this was all just 2021, mind you. Um, really good in intermediates. This year, it's been a bit of a regression. It just seems like Colleague was investing a little bit of more of their time and research into the Cup Series team to get that going a little bit more. Um, but Dinger's also coming off back-to-back wins, and I'm granted most of his success has come on road courses this year. Uh, but still, he was seventh at Michigan, sixth at Kansas, fourth at Texas two. He was top 10 in the first Vegas race with 32 laps led. I mean... <clears throat> If the team is investing more in the intermediates, I'm not saying he's a dominator in this race, but I do think that at 6,400, I don't care where he starts. If it's top 15, top 10, he is a guy that I think I might gamble on, not just in GPPs, but even if I was to play cash games on Sunday. He's that cheap where all he really needs to do if he starts in the top 10 is just hold his position and he can probably be optimal. Yeah. Uh, He's run two intermediate tracks in the Cup Series this year. His average starting position is 24 and a half. That's one 35th place start, one 14th place start. His average finish position, 14 and a half, including a top 10 and a 19 place finish. So on average, he's getting you a top 15 finish and he's moving up several spots. I don't know why he's priced down. Probably because it's not a road course, but the guy has moved up very nicely in almost every cup race he's been in this year. Um, so yeah, I would, and keep in mind, he's in this car next year, so he may as well take it for spins now and get used to it and see what needs to change and whatever for next year. So I'm with you on Almondinger. Um, in terms of a couple other guys, I don't know what to do about Chase Briscoe with everything swirling around him. And him like sneaking in and needing the help of a teammate, as NASCAR put it. Like, I I don't know. What's your read on on Briscoe this week? Uh, <clears throat> probably gonna be just one of those guys. I want to see how he does in practice. But by default, if I'm making twenty lineups, um, I'm kind of locked into getting exposure to the cheapest playoff driver that's available. He is coming in with three straight top 10 finishes, so so there's certainly a floor. And he's he's putting up DFS points. Like, he has 43, 30, and 64 DFS points in his last three races. At 8,100, even 30 points I can stomach in cash games because he started fifth at Talladega and finished 10th. Um, five straight races in the top 15. And I know that Briscoe is not – he's not a lock by any means. Um Really, we haven't seen him. We we all thought that Phoenix was was a breakout race for him early in the year when he started sixth, led 100 laps, had 40 fastest laps, had 93 DFS points. That's just a 7K salary. 
We all thought that this was, this was like a breakout race for him, but we really didn't see it much after that. But he's still alive in the playoffs. And so I'm inclined to just get exposure exposure based off that. However, I do think that fading him is an interesting leverage point because I think that there might be an emphasis. <clears throat> and if I'm just saying this from the perspective that of I'm trying to project how other DFS clubs are going to hype up the playoff drivers for this race. And while I also want to get exposure to the cheapest playoff driver, I also know he's he's probably the worst playoff driver remaining, which is why he's the cheapest. You know, we've seen a horrifically low floor from him. I mean, you know, from Watkins Glen to Darlington too. You know, he got nine points at Darlington, or nine points at Watkins Glen, five at Daytona, and seven at Darlington. So he can go out there and bust. And so if ownership is going to be elevated on him simply because he's a playoff driver, then I do think that this is a decent leverage spot. And it's one that I'm not going to feel bad about considering we just talked about guys like uh, AJ Allmendinger. I'm pretty sure I have more faith in Brad Kislaski if he keeps starting outside the top 30. Uh, Michael McDowell has been a top 10 machine this year. And so I don't necessarily think we need to fit Briscoe in, but I would fade him hoping that he's going to be popular. I would agree with basically everything you just said. All right, cool. Moving on. Oh, are we moving on? Uh, I was just counting up. <laughs> I was counting up how many times he's gone over his uh, DraftKings average salary, and it's less than half the races. Or uh, average points <clears throat> per race. Yeah, and like he's eighty one hundred, and he's not even averaging twenty five DraftKings points per race. Right. He's also only topped twenty five DraftKings points less than half the races. So that tells you that he's had some absolute doozies that negate the fact that he put up negative 25 uh, in the first Vegas race. And I think I saw a negative 31 somewhere? Negative 13 um, at the Burgers Talladega race. Negative 2 at Coda. Um, so yeah, man, he, he can go all the way from 93 to negative 25. That's, that's like Nebraska temperature gauges. That's not what I want. It's <laughs> not what I want from a DFS driver. All right, let's keep on um, keep on keeping on. Uh, Chris Buescher, Eric Jones. I always feel like we give them mentions because they've had really strong years. Both have won a race this year. Jones has been, I don't know, pretty damn good. 14 top 10s. He's been the last three races. He was sixth at Texas, sixth at Talladega when he almost kind of could have won. 11th last week when he was a really good GPP play. He did win at Darlington. Kind of on a roll. Kind of. Yeah. But anytime I mention him, people go nuts because they think I'm playing favorites. But I'm like, I just like to hang with the guy when he's hot. Then I leave him when he's not. And right now he's he's going pretty well. To give you an idea, he's averaging 10 more DFS points on DK per race than Frisco. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Just saying. Just saying. He's cheaper, too. Yeah. By, like, $1,000. Uh, what's your read on... I don't know. Really no interest with Eric Almarola this week, really. Like, not until no. Martinsville, Phoenix. 
Yeah, I would. I would presume so. I mean, I unless you're unless we're going with an SHR pissed off stack, right? Yeah. <laughs> are so pissed that they are just gonna come and go one, two, three, four at Vegas just to just to shove it to NASCAR. Because remember when Kevin Harvick got dinged for having the um, the rear window would bend in or whatever, and then he got suspended, or his crew got suspended, and they came back, and then he dominated, and he got out and pointed right to his rear window. Like, see, it's fixed, and I can still win. <laughs> Are we in for that kind of a weekend for my SHR? No. Because Tony Stewart basically said, if I didn't have a, a prior scheduled, like, sponsor show-up appointments, I wouldn't be going to a race the rest of the season on that pit. Okay, but so I tend to be with you, but I'm just saying there might be a narrative there to to just go. I mean, I'm sure it's not going to be Eric Amarola that voices the frustration, though. <laughs> no, uh, that's that's just not in his nature. No. Um, what is the approach with Michael McDowell this week? Trying to pull up his uh, numbers on intermediates. He was 11th at Texas 2, 6th at Darlington 2. Uh, I'm trying to find other noteworthy finishes. Flash back to Amarola, though, real quick. He did finish sixth at Vegas earlier in the year. Yeah, but that was also when he started the season really hot. We yeah, he started. Finish. He finished fifth at Daytona, finished sixth at Auto Club, and finished sixth at Vegas, and then fell off a freaking cliff. Yeah. I look. I'm with you. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm pointing it out that people should know he did finish sixth. But uh, McDowell... I know McDowell didn't finish well at Vegas, the first one. Uh, but following that, you know, he was seventh at Darlington one, top 15 at Texas one, top 10 at Charlotte. Uh, he was also scrolling down sixth at Darlington two, 16th at Kansas two, 11th at Texas two. Yeah, that Kansas too. By the way, he put up thirty-four DK points at sixty-seven hundred bucks. Yeah, that's pretty close to five X. Pretty much is because I think five X would be thirty-three and a half. And yeah, so and now he's sixty-two hundred, so he's <clears throat> five hundred cheaper than he was. I think what always makes McDowell such a gr- such a difficult play is that he always qualifies well. Like I had him boldly in my cash lineup last week at the roll, even though he started eleventh. But he ran top 10 for most of that race, despite the really bad finish at the end. And so I think we just need to come to terms with ourselves. Like, he's a top 15 driver this year, just not in a top 15 car. And there is top 10 upside once again this week. I would agree. Okay. Uh, Uh, Scrolling outside of McDowell, it does get kind of crappy. I think I'll play Stenhouse a little bit if he continues to qualify poorly. Uh, I mean, here we are in the dumpster bin. We're looking at Justin Haley, Ty Dillon, Harrison Burton, Todd Gilliland. Really, four drivers that we can probably go to if we need the salary relief. Mildly interested in Landon Castle. I'm just going to say, so am I. Because he hasn't really been awful. Yep. Like, he's going to start outside the top 30. And if he finishes 25th or better, he could be optimal. 
I mean, he's averaging 31.3 DK points a race. Now He's finished 25th or better in six straight races, dating back to Daytona 2. Which isn't, which doesn't sound great to the casual listener of the podcast or anyone in general. But when you're looking at where he's starting, it's phenomenal. Very good. Or I'm just counting up his total top 25s. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eight, nine, ten. He's got ten finishes of 25th or better, and he's raced 15 times. Pretty good. Well, actually, he's raced 14 out of the ones I'm counting because one of them was the All Star Open, mm. which we're not counting. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, you're finishing top 25 in 10 of 14 races. That's 70% of the time. Like, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Corey LaJoy, BJ McLeod, Cody Ware, JJ Yelly, uh, hard to find it hard to garner much excitement there yeah i would agree um i took a shot on lajoy at the at the roval it it worked out um but that's a you know as a one-off thing mainly because he had run better than he qualified and the track history didn't bear out that you should play him yeah it's just one of those times where <laughs> take a shot and it works um yeah, I will say that he tends to finish a little better than where he qualifies. So if you're in a pinch, he has run decently well at intermediates this year. Not, We're not talking about a guy that we need a top 10 from, right? We're just talking about a guy who, if he puts up 20 points, we're happy. I mean, we're talking LaJoy, right? Yeah, I mean, he finished, yeah, finished, I mean, he, he finished he, 15th at Vegas earlier this year. He can finish in the top 20. Yes. He's capable of it. I'm just saying we don't need him to usually. Yeah, I wish DK had like a, a top 20 column because LaJoy only has two top 10s, but he's got a handful of top 20s. And that's yeah. routinely a guy. And for a guy who's under 5K, if you can sneak out of the top 20 from him in a GPP, you'll take it because he's um, like a good top 20. Um, DFS strategies. Are you taking a two dominator approach, maybe three here? Hold on one second. Seven, I feel five. like when we get to the short tracks, we might legitimately be talking about one dominator build. <laughs> yes. Which seems insane because so many drivers are going to fall off the lead lap. Uh, yeah, I would I would agree that short tracks are one. This one's probably a two. I don't know. He's had a lot of top 20. He's 10. Yeah. Well, I'd say he's probably closer to like 15, 16, 17. 13, 13, I think, is the 13 or 14 is the count I got for LaJoy's top 20. So, that's not bad. If we're excited about top 10s for McDowell, you have to be excited about top 20s for LaJoy. Agreed. Agreed. And the other nice thing about LaJoy is that if you put LaJoy and McDowell in a lineup, that's going to get ugly in a hurry. But you can get Eddie <laughs> Hamlin, and you can get Tyler Reddick, and, and we've still got 8,800 bucks left. For the other two, so let's go with Pagano, who you also liked, and then that gives us 8,700, which is anybody from Bubba down. Go Larson, Dick. you could go LaJoy, McDowell, Logano, Larson, Reddick, Blaney. 
That's why you play Corey Lynch. Yeah. He's <laughs> a great he could say top 20. Uh, yes. Any other strategies, advice for this weekend, or just advise people will be in the Discord all week? Um, I mean, we saw a nice amount of passing in Vegas earlier this year. Remember, the intermediates have been a little bit of a free-for-all. Um, in this car, I don't mean chaotic. I just mean, like, guys have been able to pass. There's been multiple grooves. So we should expect more of the same. There was several lead changes under green at Vegas earlier this year. So if you want to do, like, two dominators, that's kind of what I would do. Let me double-check exactly what. Like, I don't remember exactly the breakdown of um, laps led for Vegas earlier this year. But let me go ahead and. Pull that up here in just one second. Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Good old friends racing reference. Racing reference. There we go. Let's see. We had how many lead? Nobody cracked 100 laps lead in the spring race. Most we had was Chastain leading 83. And then Kyle Busch with 49, Larson at 27, Bowman at 16. We did have Denny Hamlin with 31 until his car went kaput. Um, so I would, I would look, do I think that was a one-off? Maybe. So if we're if we're considering a one-off, I'm building with two dominators. If we're not, if we think that the spring race is indicative of what we're going to see here, I would go for finished position of a guy leads laps. Congrats, mm-hmm. which is different than just about any other intermediate we've built for. All right. Well, pretty solid preview of Vegas for this weekend. Reminder: I am on both playbooks. Please be patient with me. Very rare that I've had to really dig deep for Cup Series knowledge and analysis. But, uh, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy your daughter's birthday this weekend. Best of luck to you and best of luck to the FA Nation. Best of luck, FA Nation. Hardy's two for five dollar breakfast bake goodness into your morning. Choose a biscuit with sausage and egg, biscuit and gravy, or French toast dips. Any two, just five dollars. Hardy's goodness in the making. These items only. Price and participation may vary. Tax not included.